Hello everyone and welcome to Fathom. My name is Anizi and I'm your host. Here at Fathom, we believe that in order to lead a joy-filled and fulfilling life, one must have the courage to pursue that which they find meaningful. But how do you do that in our busy modern world where internal and external obstacles abound? Through conversations with guests who are experimenting with life and adulting relatively successfully, or courageously I should say, will bring raw and honest conversations that will hopefully add value to you, our listener. Let's dive in. Hello, Fathom listeners. How are you doing? I hope all is well. I hope you're good, you're well, healthy, and taking incredible care of yourselves. Um, yeah, we're going to get started with another episode, but before we get started, I have three requests. Requests. Request number one is, could you kindly follow us on all our socials? On Instagram, we are, we are at Fathom with an Izzy. On Twitter, we are at Fathom underscore pod. And then on LinkedIn, we are Fathom with an Izzy. Request number two is, kindly leave us a review on the platform that you use to listen to us. So if you're listening to this, that means you found us. But if you can just take the extra step to review this, you know, share with us a written review or a star review of what you think about the podcast, that would be very helpful and fantastic because it helps other listeners also easily find us. And last but not least, could you kindly share this episode with a friend? Um, I have a very exciting guest and it will be a missed opportunity if you don't really spread the word and share the episode with other people. So that's all. And now to introducing my next guest. My next guest is called Charlotte Magai, who is the founder of Mukuro Clean Stoves and a 2022 Earth Short Prize winner. Charlotte was orphaned at age 10 and grew up in Mukuru, one of the biggest slums in Nairobi. And she became a mother at age 16. And she was moved to provide safer cooking technologies for her community when her daughter got burned by a traditional stove. Since then, she has been recognized and awarded by Global Citizen, World Bank, United Nations, and she was among the 100 most influential young Africans in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And she strongly believes in a toxin and smoke-free world and has dedicated her time, skills, and experience to fighting household air pollution. Her company, Mokuru Clean Stoves, has manufactured and distributed over 400,000 life-saving cook stoves, impacting the lives of 2 million Kenyans living in poverty. She is an Echoing Green Fellow, an Africa Business Hero, a Global Good Fund Fellow, a Stanford Global Energy Hero, a Forbes 30 Under 30 Lister, and the Bloomberg New Economy Catalyst. And she sits on boards of three international funds. She's currently building a 300 square foot sustainable energy campus in Kenya and developing a malaria fighting fuel. I mean, what doesn't Charlotte do? I'm really excited to get into the conversation of getting to know her even better. Um, and I've had an opportunity to hang out with Charlotte. She's a great woman, great entrepreneur. And I cannot wait to introduce her to you. So let's dive in. 
Charlotte, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Why is my voice shaking? <laughs> ah, okay, take a deep breath. But this will not be cut, so let's get into it. <laughs> Charlotte, I'm very honored to have you on the podcast. In your home. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Thank you so much, and thanks for indulging me. I'm very lazy. Um, no but I'm super excited to be on your podcast, finally. Yeah, finally, <laughs> finally. We're going back and forth. Recently won... I mean, 2022, you were the Earthshot Prize winner. You're now, you know, doing some things with Bloomberg. I mean, you, I just listed a lot of things. How do you feel about all of that? How are you taking it all in? Um, honestly, I feel nervous about them still. Yeah. Yeah, I think entrepreneurship in, is one of those journeys where you never really quite feel like you're comfortable. You've yeah. gone into your, oh, I don't. Mm. I don't know about other entrepreneurs. So I'm obviously very proud of myself and very excited about future prospects but i am you know a little bit nervous about you know the next year the next yeah. month yeah. yeah okay that's interesting um what makes you nervous is it just how it is or um i think when you work so hard mm. for something for so long and then you're finally starting to get into mm. the spaces that you wanted to get into you don't know if it's time to get comfortable or if it's time to to keep fighting or to keep pushing so i think the nerves come from not still not being sure mm. you know even with the journey mm. should i get comfortable impact. should i keep going yeah. Mm. yeah so i think as an entrepreneur you cannot really get content because there's still more lives to mm. impact true, true. and being comfortable in as much as it brings a bit of ease mm. might also reduce the number of resources you can bring in that's interesting that's very good actually um i know you're a reader so I'll talk about a book there is a book i read a while ago um in one of my operations class in university it's called only the paranoid survive have you heard of that book or that quote for quoting that it's sure. by this i don't I, I would need to remember the author but i think the essence it's actually written it's a story of a manager of a factory and whatnot but mm-hmm. the whole essence of it is that People who stay on their toes are the ones who can survive in like a competitive business landscape. Right. So it kind of speaks to what you're saying. Like, I know I'm com- things are good now and they will continue to be good, mm-hmm. but I can't just relax. I yeah. mean, there is more work to be done. Yeah. So I hear you when you say that. Um, but let's go back in time. So when you imagine yourself at 10 years old, I don't know if you can bring that person and like picture that girl mm-hmm. and look at yourself now yeah. could you have imagined that this this is your life or this is what you would become <laughs> why are you laughing <laughs> because not in a million years yeah and sometimes i still wake up and i'm like this is my life now mm. yeah so i think at 10 year old me mm. definitely not mm. and uh, 30 year old me today still is not very comfortable in the place mm. they're in like sometimes it's still so surreal to mm. me that i was able to sort of change my life mm. and mm. Um, provide myself with a better situation than i was in mm. so no 10 year old me did not imagine that yeah mm. well, did, what, what were you, did you have dreams of what you wanted to be then um yeah or? i think as a 10 year old um, or I want to take you a bit, um, um, I want to take you to eight year old me when mm. my mom was still alive mm. and I was a very confident girl. Um, 
and I thought I'd probably be like a journalist okay. or a lawyer. I see. My mom loved the way I spoke and mm. she made me read a lot, which gave me a lot of confidence. And also I argued with my siblings a lot. Okay. Like these eight of us. They're like, she can be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are yeah. eight of you. Wow. There are okay. eight of us and I'm one of the youngest. Okay. And I was very opinionated as a child. My husband calls me an activist. because I, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I can definitely see that. Yeah. So my family probably thought I'd be a lawyer yeah. or a journalist because yeah. I also used to copy how journalists would speak mm. on the news and sort of do it for my mom. But those are the dreams I had mm. um, as a young girl. Okay. And then, so you get to 10. Uh, I know you openly share that that's when you lost your parents. Um, how did your world change then? Hmm. So first of all, my dad died when I was two. So mm, I don't remember him. I see. I've seen mm. a picture. He's very handsome, I mm, promise. That's where you got the looks. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom was the better looking one. Yeah. But my, hus- my, my dad was very handsome. And mm. my mom, growing up, I remember she made me a very confident young mm. girl. Okay. Um, she spoke a lot of affirmations to me, even though herself she wasn't an educated woman mm. raising eight children as a widow. But she'd come home sometimes and be like, why are you so pretty? So mm. I just be believed I was pretty mm. or I'd do my homework and she's like oh my god you're, you're a genius so smart. yeah and I've so... I just oh, sorry to interrupt <laughs> but now that I've been in your home for a few hours I've seen that you interact with your daughter the exact same way you yeah. really affirm her I try to every do move she makes which now what are you saying that about your mom I'm like okay I see I see where you got that from yeah, yeah. I, I try to do that my favorite yeah. memories about my mother is about her affirming me mm. and then losing that support system. I was raised by my brothers who were overwhelmed. Like mm. my brother became my dad and he mm. was only 20. Mm. So there wasn't much he could do. And that took away so much mm. from me. In mm. as much as I drew my strength from that pain, mm. I still feel like if my mom was still alive, I'd mm. be a very confident woman. I think people yeah. would think you I'm arrogant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but mm. it changed my life in that way. Like, okay. I lost sort of my anchor. Mm. And for years, I wasn't really able to find something or someone else to be able to lean on. So I had to rely on myself um, to do that. Mm. But I did grow up with wonderful brothers who loved, loved, worshipped education mm. Um, mm. even. And they were very protective of me. Mm. And that helped me a lot. I see. Yeah. Mm-mm. Thank God for good brothers. Um... Yeah, and it also sounds like yeah, your mom gave you a good package as much as it was shaken a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. And then you become a mom at 16. Yeah. How was that experience? I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how to ask the question. I just feel like it's it can be a lot, you know, for a teen to become a mother. Yeah, for yeah. a child. To yeah. be, you know, true, to true. have a child, it was... Mm. insanely difficult first of all i had to leave school i loved school Mm. like we grew up not having a lot Mm. but i went to school every day i tried to do well Mm. and i had a lot of friends and being able to interact with people your age and then getting that taken away from you was quite challenging Mm. and then having to figure out a way to now fend for this new family that i was creating Mm. by myself as a 16-year-old girl in, like, not the best of living circumstances, most of the time it was filled with a lot of pain and a lot of luck. Mm. And 
I do not know how we made it yeah. out of there. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's amazing. How did that... Because um, I think actually from even hearing you talk about it in other places, you talk about it more as it was a situation that was difficult economically, financially, figuring out things. How do we make it work? Mm-hmm. But it, did it affect you like emotionally? Yeah your confidence or how you perceive yourself, shame. I don't know if you kind of underwent through um, those emotions that I feel like can come with teen pregnancy. For you, was it simply like, okay, how do I raise this child? Or it was also like an identity thing, like, oh, shoot, I'm a teen mom. Um, When I was growing up, I thought I was very smart. Mm. And so I knew that if I just studied hard and stayed in school, Mm. I was guaranteed a good life. Mm. And this is what was instilled in me um, from a very early age. Like education, that's the key of getting out of this slum. Mm. And when that got taken care uh, away, like when now I didn't have access to that, I thought my life was over. Mm. I thought there's never going to be a time where I would be okay financially, emotionally, Mm. socially. Mm. And when I left school and I was pregnant, about to have a baby, uh, my friends were in school and I just didn't feel like I was worthy even because they were going to have good lives. And I was just going to be a teen mom, nothing else. So being a teenage mom took everything away from me. Mm. And I remember not feeling any type of hope until I had my baby Mm. then now I had something to get up for and now I had to convince myself that she deserved a good life Mm. so I had to go back to school yeah Mm. and figure out a way to try and get back some of those future promises that Mm. I had made for myself wow that's amazing um yeah so I think your kid basically gave you back that resolve that you needed to to push through um tell me paint a picture for me of mokuru right we've talked about it it's a slum here in nairobi but what is life like there on a daily basis Hmm. interesting first of all it's very fun (laughs) yeah it's very fun okay um in the sense that you know people can be poor Mm. but they have this community type of situation like everybody is watching everybody else's back Mm. And when you don't have, like, food, a neighbor will want to help. Mm. Um, I remember after I had my daughter, um, I was washing clothes for people. Mm. So I would leave my Mm. three-month-old baby with a neighbor, and she'd take care of them until I came back. And because there was no system to washing clothes for people, Mm. you'd walk and and go to affluent neighborhoods and knock on doors and try to find people who wanted that service. Mm. And then I'd come back home in the evening and sometimes you would have walked for hours and you walk back and you didn't get any work Mm. in the sun and it would be painful. But then that neighbor you left your child with, they have a little something so Mm. you'll share. Mm. But it was also a life filled with desperation. So Mm. in as much as you are all helping each other, but you aren't helping each other with much because the person helping you also didn't have anything. Mm. Yeah. So the beauty of it is the sharing. Mm communal yeah the hopelessness in it Mm. is not having much to share anyway yeah Yeah. wow i mean it's very hard to imagine that you actually lived that life once upon a time like i cannot i cannot put one and two together i'm like really it's it's insane sometimes i meet people they're like you're so bougie i'm like what yeah (laughs) because you give you you give the 
bougie, went to private school. Yeah, you never struggled vibe, which is a great thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that to be to to aspire to, yeah. but it means that your circumstances did not kind yeah. of beat you down. Yeah, I think also growing up in Mukuru, another thing that helped was growing up in Kenya. We speak Shang. Yeah. And our brothers would, like, beat us up mm. if we said any, like, slang, right? Okay. And so we were always forced to speak proper language, like, That's proper Swahili, proper English. And so you read a lot. They wanted to sort of desperately set you apart. So now mm. I want to speak Sheng. And mm. obviously, generations have changed it. Mm. Like, the 21-year-old mm. Sheng is insane to me. I don't mm. know what they're saying. Mm. But I do remember not being allowed to speak that language. And... My brothers made me love books because they promised me that mm. if you just like read stories and put yourself in a mm. world that's not here, mm. read a story from somewhere in mm. freaking Europe, you would you could imagine that life, then mm. work towards it. So that helped because most of the time I'd walk into places and I'd get opportunities because I didn't speak like I was from Kuru. I didn't true, say true, true. any Sheng words and it may have opened doors, but mm. again, over the years, I've met people, interacted with people, yeah. and also, um, I guess, made a good life for mm. myself, which makes me seem bougie, but I'm like the most ghetto person you could ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but to, 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 talking about that, I think you, you, you just reminded me of, um, you've read Born a Crime, I saw it on your bookshelf. You know how Trevor, like, Trevor Noah's mom used to like take him like in all these neighborhoods, you know, for him to... To know that, yeah, there is life beyond the townships. Yeah. So for you, I guess, it was through books, right? Like books was, they were an escape or um, a way for you to have a reality that wasn't your present that's reality. Nice yours, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I still do that even as a grown Yeah, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> business is hard. Let yeah. me read a book. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, to, before I kind of close the chapter of your upbringing, are there any other events uh, or memories that stand out from how you were raised? Or, I mean, it sounds like you mentioned your brothers a lot, your mom. Is there anything else that stand, stands out? What is your life between 10 and 16 like? Are you, I mean, you're in school, you're clearly smart, so getting good grades, making friends. I was cheeky and I was a business woman, even mm -hmm. as. A teenager i remember being able to make friends very mm -hmm. easily mm. and like finessing my way into being a teacher's pet because mm. i knew that would bring favors interesting yeah so i think i was in a sense i was always meant to be an entrepreneur yeah um growing up because i was a total orphan mm. um we were sponsored I see. And so our sponsor came up with this. Um, they paid for your education, essentially. Mm. They came up with this idea of giving people pocket money mm. if you did well. I see. And they wouldn't tell your guardians. That way you'd be able to, I guess, buy things during breaks or whatever. Mm. Mm. And I used to get that a lot. And I remember one time... My brother wasn't able to pay for my school fees. Um, I went to one of those like schools where you could pay twenty dollars mm. per term. Mm. It wasn't that expensive, but he wasn't able to pay, and I got like ten dollars at my as my pocket money, mm. and I gave it to him. Mm. And he was like, "Oh, where did you get where this?" Get so I money? had to come clean, mm. 
and he was just so proud of me for mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. and i felt shitty for mm-hmm. not letting him know yeah. that i'd be getting it for like every time yeah but I remember growing up, I was very grateful because mm. the same way you say I look bougie right now, there's some people or certain mm. situations that made me look like something that I really wasn't and opened doors for me. Like, sure. for instance, because I was sponsored, I always had new shoes at the mm. beginning of every year and my uniform always looked new. Mm. And, you know, like we had access to textbooks sure. even though we were orphans. Mm. So it gave me opportunities. Like I was allowed to write to pen pals in mm. different parts of the world because I had access to some of those things. Mm. So I feel like in a way, in as much as I struggled and mm. I put in the work, sure. mm. a lot of people had my back. People I had never you. met before mm. as well. And I'm just like very grateful for that as mm. well. That's very good. Does that shape how you interact with people? Like your values right now as a, a proper adult now who are who is in a position to help a lot of people? I mean, with your work, I can see that, right? You're yeah. working with a lot of people from impoverished communities, women. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like yeah, you, giving back has yeah. to be a big part it's, of it's, it's important of who you me. are. Yeah, yeah, it's very important to me. I from the schools that I've gone, uh, I've gone to every year. We'll check mm-hmm. out which girls are you mm-hmm. know doing the exams and not able to clear their school fees, and just help with that mostly anonymously. Mm-hmm. Um, girls within the places where I work in in the communities, um, that we have either factories or distribution centers. Because I have seen what someone who, mm. like, it's money that we could use to buy dinner, sure. but it could pay for a whole terms sure. of school That's fees and you're changing somebody's life. So it's very important to me. It, mm. it takes nothing away from you, yeah. but it's very, very crucial in mm. somebody else's life. Mm. And also it's just something you do to feel good. Exactly. And it helps that someone did that for me. Mm. Yeah. That's good. I love that. Okay, so... You talked. You talk about how your company now, Mukuru Clean Stoves, was inspired by an incident that your daughter went through. You know, tell us about what happened and how did you now go on to create this great social enterprise. <laughs> I don't know about great. We're getting there, but yeah, I think I've said this story a million times. Yeah. Like you said. And I, each time I try to tell it a different way. Mm. Um, my daughter, her name's Harmony. We call her Harmony. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful name. Yeah, I know. I give mm. good names. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very beautiful name. So Harmony and I, at this point, I had gone back to school. Mm. I went to an adult school, which mm. is like the school you go to to finish high school. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like a college, but mm. not really. And I am getting ready to go to school. And normally I'd leave her with a friend, a neighbor, mm. maybe my sister. And I am making her food, right? So I can drop her off with something to eat. Mm. And so we live in a single room. It's the kitchen, bedroom, it's everything. Mm. And I'm using a traditional stove to cook. So I turn my back, probably to put my books in my bag, I don't remember. Mm. And I turn around and Hami is lying on the floor. Mm. And the stove plus the port mm. are, like, on top of her. Oh, no. Wait, what? Yeah. Like, the, the I don't know what happened, mm. but they fell on her. And she was wearing these pants that look like pajamas. Mm. And so I pushed them away. And I tried to remove her pants. Mm. And her skin comes off oh, with no. it. And I just remember thinking she was going to die. Mm. So yeah, that's scary. 
I don't I blacked out at that moment mm. and when I woke up we were at a hospital it's called Mama Lucy um a neighbor took us there one of my sisters showed up mm. and because I freaked out so much I was also admitted because I mm. thought my child mm. had died mm. and when I got discharged and I was able to see her and she was getting better she was still in one of those wards where people are so sick that mm. some of them die like oh. when you come back the next day to visit someone a kid died and it was a desperate situation we were there for two weeks and every day i was scared that something bad mm. was gonna happen um i'm glad nothing happened yeah yeah God. so that is what inspired mkuru oh hami's fine she's like mm. scared yeah but so tall and beautiful and gorgeous and smart and everything yeah. my mother wants their daughter to be mm. And that's how I came up with the idea. So I'm going to breathe. And then yeah, I'm gonna please study. do. <laughs> <laughs> Take a sip of water. Oh, my God. <laughs> thanks for sharing that. It's painful every time. <laughs> mm, no, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. So I initially wanted to make a stable stove. Mm. Like a stove for children that if you were cooking and a child kicked it by mistake or was just playing because kids will play it will topple but come mm. like it wouldn't fall mm. and in the process of researching that then I find out that's not even the biggest problem mm. so you know how when you do something for so long you think that's how it's supposed to be mm. done that's sure, fine sure, sure. so I use a traditional stove all my life and then I learn about household air pollution. I'm like, what is that? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you learn about how that impacts the health of people, the environment, um, how that keeps people in poverty because you uh-huh. spend a third sure, of sure, your sure. income on fuel consumption. And I thought maybe we could make a, sta- a stove that would solve all three problems. So uh-huh. burns, pollution, and fuel costs. Uh-huh. How old are you when you're having this idea? Um, I'm a little under... So Hami was two, that means I was 18, 19. So it was immediately after the incident? It was immediately after the incident Girl. that I thought about the idea. and That's amazing. Yeah, but You're it was solving world like... problems <laughs> at 19. I'm like, God knows where I was. It wasn't implemented for yeah. a long time yeah, because no it was just that idea yeah. that you have that you're going to do one mm. day. And I didn't do it for a long time. Mm. I still had to survive. True, I still true, had true. to like sell clothes. Mm. I still had to wash people, clothes for people. Mm. At that point, when my daughter got burnt, I used to sell charcoal for mm. a neighbor. Um, and later on, Mukuru was founded when I was 23 mm. in 2017. Yes. And I really still. started working mm. on the idea when I was 22. Mm. Um, the year before that, mm. I just wasn't, again, able to put it all together. But when I started taking it seriously mm. and figuring out how to register a company and do all that, um, when I finally was able to do it, that was in 2017. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm. That's amazing. So were you... So you graduated at 21, too, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So you were n- never in formal employment. You just went straight into entrepreneurship. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's I, really impressive. I think I was just born to be an entrepreneur. No, that's really impressive, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you graduate, you try something out, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, you have this idea in the back of your head, and then you later implement it, but you've been paid by someone else you know you've learned skills from a a company but you know going straight into entrepreneurship is like really brave and 
Yeah, but you were also talking about how in Kenya a lot of people end up in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I was but you have for you had like, a strong reason, and yeah. I was gonna say a lot of entrepreneurs I know were never employed mm. at any point in their lives. That's interesting. Yeah, I think mm. a lot of entrepreneurs came out of school and immediately jumped in. They've... Some of them dropped out of school to get mm. into entrepreneurship. So I don't know, like it's different in mm. different places. True, true, true. But what I know, like the friends that I have, that's here actually in Kevin. true. Kevin and uh, is old. Yeah, they were like in they university all just and jump into yeah. entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. I think you know um, other Africa business leaders as true. well. Yeah, so that was the case for me as well. Mm. Okay, that's really cool. So. For people who do not know about Mukuru Clean Stove, I mean, tell us everything about your company, your technology, your innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we're, before we started recording, we had a very good conversation about all the things you're thinking about, carbon credits. And, and I was like, oh my God, I wish we were recording this because that's kind of the level of detail that sometimes I want to get too mm-hmm. during the, a podcast but sometimes we don't get there because it's just a natural conversation but yeah. you know share as much as you can about your company you're right i think with this mic in front of me it's gonna be hard yeah. <laughs> i'm so much better when there's like no one recording forget but... that it's there <laughs> <laughs> i'll try yeah so mukuru clean stoves was formed it's a limited liability company mm. it's a social enterprise because our work is focused more on impact uh, than profit mm. And essentially what we do is we use recycled metal that is sourced locally here in Kenya Mm. to manufacture improved cookstoves. So improved in the sense of they have a raised thermal efficiency. Mm. In comparison to a traditional stove, um, a traditional stove's thermal efficiency is 3%. Our stoves are between 37 and 44%. Wow. And that what that then does is it allows for fuel to burn for longer, Mm. produces more heat, which reduces the amount of radon produced. Radon is the substance that causes household air pollution. And so this saves families like the amount of money they spend on fuel because it burns for longer, so they cook with using less fuel. And it reduces up to 90% of toxic smoke emissions. Mm. So that's the stove that we have. The reason why we use recycled metal is because it makes it affordable. The problem, Yeah, the mm. problem with um, the communities that we work in the reason why they weren't buying improved cookstoves was because the available mm. alternatives were very expensive. So this is a household that earns maybe forty to a hundred dollars monthly income, mm. and mm. the stove that could solve their problems is fifty dollars. Mm. So we needed to make a stove that would make financial sense for them to buy. So we make a stove that's ten dollars. Mm. Um, so that's about seventy five percent cheaper yeah. than alternatives that are the exact same as a Mukuru stove. Yeah. Um, the stoves themselves are made by local youth. Okay. So we'll work with them, we'll train them. Some of them already know how to yeah. do metal work. Yeah. So it's just a little bit of training so they understand how to build a Mukuru stove. Mm. And then after that, we distribute our stoves through a network of local women business owners. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so these are women like who are like small. Yeah. yeah. Mm. They already have their small businesses mm. and they take on our stove as an added product. Okay. And they earn a 10% commission on it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And do you sell it for ten dollars or it's subsidized? It or... was ten dollars for a very long time. Yeah. And it's currently subsidized. Mm. We are currently selling it at five dollars. Okay. Mostly because we're trying to beat um 
traditional stoves mm. and they are affordable they're very yeah. um they are very affordable and accessible mm. um solving the accessibility issue is mm. as simple as mm. selling them through local women business mm. owners but the affordability issue then we figured so we competing on price competing on price mm. because at the end of the day when you're working in underserved communities even if a product is good mm. if they can't afford it it's not worth it true Yeah, because mm. there is food to worry about. Mm. This fuel to worry like about. Like they're living there today, so the yeah. whole investing in something long term. It's it's a bit yeah. unfair to ask True. of them. Mm. Yeah, so I think over the years the clean cooking industry has come up with new ways mm. to make it more affordable for communities to afford an improved cookstove gotcha. like ours. Mm. Yeah. I'm actually learning something about clean cooking because when people talk, talk about, you know, air pollution, in my mind <laughs> i used to always think about um smoke right yeah. as the biggest issue because it causes you know it causes like lung respiration issues mm -hmm. but then the whole like radon thing you're talking about is like you know, there are toxins actually that are emitted by charcoal charcoal yeah, and whatnot right. yeah. so it's it's more than that right mm -hmm. um that's interesting and your the youth that you're talking about mm -hmm. this is men and women This is men and women, yes. Yeah. So we have mostly men who do the metal work. Okay. And then the inside um, ceramic is built by women. Okay. Um, and the Finnish women, obviously, because we do a better mm. job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's more, it's more no fine and detailed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, so we work with lot, local youth in these yeah. rural communities who build the units. Mm. And then we partner with just local women business owners who have different kinds of businesses. Mm. A lot of them do end up being tailors, though, because okay. we have a lot of tailors. In every market, there's a That's tailor. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of mm. our agents end up being tailors. Someone's asked me that before. Some, like, they end up being... Like, they leave your job to become a tailor? No, no, like, they are tailors. Oh, okay. And they're the ones who are easily accessible to us. Okay. Because every market, especially in a rural area... There is guaranteed to be a tailor. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's like another channel, I guess, to like strongly look into now when you go to other places. Like identify all the tailors and be like, yeah, you want to be our agents. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask? Can you walk us through your growth journey, right? Because mm -hmm. in your intro, I talked about how you are now, this you've already distributed around 400,000 mm -hmm. or... Is that the volume you're distributing per year, or that's what you've distributed in total? Um, that's what we've distributed in total. In total. It's about 425,000 so far. Okay. And that's over the years. Gotcha. Yeah. And, like, walk us through the journey of going from zero to 400,000. I mean, mm -hmm. how are you finding this, um, I mean, clients, technically? Yeah. Um, The capital to invest in, of course, because mm -hmm. to manufacture that, you need your capital. So yeah. teach us some lessons about business. <laughs> <laughs> How to go from zero to 400,000. Yeah, I'm yeah. like the worst person to ask, <laughs> but I'm going to try and tell it in like a story. Uh -huh. So when I started my business, we were based in Mukuru slums here mm -hmm. in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. And... I had a small shop mm -hmm. and I outsourced production mm. um, in a place called Joakali, like okay. right next to Gigosh. Every no Kenyan idea. listening is going yeah. to know Joakali is. <laughs> like there's some context I need to yeah, know about I the know. place. Yeah, I know. Normally when they Is it ask, close where we're going to go to record the podcast? What that, was this again? No, Rosambu is <laughs> yeah. very far from Joakali. But... 
I feel like I don't know how to describe Jokali. I just know that it's Jokali and I tell everyone like yeah. I'll be in Singapore and I'll be like it was in Jokali they're like where is that? I'm like, <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> um so we had some neighbors who did metal work uh-huh. um in this um place and basically people do metal work yeah. there. Okay. Right? Oh but you know what? I think we have a similar thing in Kigali. Yeah. It's called Ga- it's called it. Gachinjiro. Yeah. It's like uh there's a lot of metal work. Yeah. A lot of um like artisans, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like a similar concept. Yeah. Maybe. And it's yeah. the same everywhere. Yeah. Um, I saw it in Ghana mm. as well. Um, so some of my neighbors mm. worked in Jokali, so I outsourced to them gotcha. and I'd basically draw the stove, show them how to do it, mm. um, which materials to use. Um, which was very like insane with mm. quality control as we were getting bigger. But in the beginning I would order mm. ten stoves. It's very easy to quality check on ten stoves. And another thing we used to do, and please remember that I started my entrepreneurship journey not knowing anything mm. about entrepreneurship. Mm. So the moment I started, I applied to get into an accelerator okay. to learn about business, how to run a business, how to pitch it. And once we finished this accelerator, they gave us a small grant, like a thousand Australian dollars. Okay to set up something so Mm. that's the money i used to start Mm. and then no that's the money i used to i used to open the get my first talk Mm. because i got money from family Mm. um before well yeah like two thousand dollars to open the store Mm. so anyway we do this accelerator Mm. and then i'm continuing with my work at Mm. mkuru Mm. so because i've started a company i've um set up my email and I've sent, set up the email for info at Mugu. Yeah. Okay. But also, I don't Oh, you had that. a website already? Or you can yeah, still... Yeah, I set up okay, a website. There you and, go. and a friend like, set it up for me for That's free. That's nice. Yeah. And so we have emails. Mm. But I don't know that humans are supposed to check yeah. the emails. <laughs> so there were these um, ladies in Australia who mm. had done the same accelerator. And they were based in Australia. It was an Australian accelerator. Mm. And they reached out to me... And they're like, hey, um, we'd like to work with you. Mm. So essentially what they fund is trainings. Gotcha. And at this point, I had been working with um, teenage mothers mm. in Mukuru, educating them on why they needed stoves, trying to convince them to sell our stoves for us, mm. the agents, which mm. was very hard. And I don't see this email for two months, right? Wow. Because mm. I just don't, you don't open that, that email. I'm supposed to check mm. them, right? Like, I am very green in mm. this space. I don't know how it works, True. honestly. And so I check the email, I freak out first, mm. like the first few hours. And then I'm like, oh, how do I respond to this? So I figured out how to respond, apologize for getting back to them mm. um, so late. And then they're like, oh, we'd like to fund one of your trainings because mm. we saw that you do that as well. So basically they would provide financing for me to talk to teenage mothers mm. with babies under the age of five about household air pollution and then give them our stores for free. They'd mm. also buy the stores. Okay. But then when they were doing our program, when they were doing our project on their website, a local company in Australia saw it. Gotcha. And they were like, as a company, we want to fundraise. Mm. Again, it was a mm. thousand Australian dollars. Mm. And the fundraise, I get the money, I do the training, forget about it. Mm. 
a couple of months later, no, actually the next year now in 2018, yeah. they reach out to me again, these two ladies, and they're like, the, um, the organization is called Just Peoples. I'm on their board right now. Okay. So they reach out to me and they tell me, remember how we told you there was a local organization that funded you? They're coming to Kenya and mm. they'd love to meet you and mm. see the work you did with the wow. money they gave you. Mm. And I'm like, what? Okay. Um, cool. I'll welcome them. So they show up to Mukuru. We're in my shop, which is like a shack. Yeah. There's a couple of stoves. Mm. There's a seat, two seats yeah. and a table. Mm. And there are two of them. So they sit on those two seats and I sit on the table. And this guy, his name is James Wright. Mm. He's coming here tomorrow. That's oh, the guy. Oh, that's the okay. Yeah. I see. Uh-huh. He tells me, what can I do? Oh. Like, what do you need mm. to be able to make this a bigger thing? Because we are seeing the impact, even though right now you've sold like 200 stores. Mm. And I tell him, I'd like to build a factory. Mm. And he thinks I'm joking. Mm. So I'm like, if you just give me $50,000, I could build a factory, buy machinery, mm. um, distribute stoves, and pay you back in two years. Yeah. And I'm telling him in a shack mm. in one of the largest exactly. slums in Nairobi. So he's like, this girl is crazy. Mm. But after a year of having the same conversation over and over again, he's like, okay, I'll give you the money. So mm. he did his own due diligence. He provided us with the funds. And we set up the factory, right? Mm. But right before he agreed to do the due diligence, because I was always applying to everything, True. I was like the queen of applying. If mm. I see an opportunity, <laughs> whether it's a good fit or not, yeah. I did not care. I'll At the apply. time, you just needed yeah. money. Yeah. And you yeah. just pray that they don't realize you're mm. not a good fit mm. and give you the money anyway. We got a deep prize grant to okay. distribute stoves in Kibera. Okay. Just five. I've heard of deep prize actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm also on their board. Mm. Wow. And essentially. I think all the people who funded me and asked me to build a board earlier. Um, so, Deprez gives me $20,000. Okay. And they tell me to just produce and distribute 500 stoves mm. alone mm. in Kibir mm. in three months. Mm-hmm. We distribute 539. Wow. And it was at this point when this Australian funder was like, oh my God, mm. you can do this thing. True. Yeah, so then he gave us... Um, the money to set up the factory in Siaya County. Now, when he was giving me the money, he thought I was going to set up the factory in Nairobi. Mm. And so I had to convince him that setting up the factory in a rural area, mm. deep in Western Kenya, that's mm. where the money is. Mm. But this is because I had identified that people were buying stores from us and sending them back to their mothers and aunties and grandmas interesting. Mm. in the rural areas. So we decided, how about we set it up where the customer the real customers are and that was like a bad idea (laughs) because we get there and first of all everything is bad in the sense that the people who can make these stoves are in large cities so kisumu nakuru mombasa nairobi people with the skills people with the skills Mm. are in large cities Mm. number two we work with youth the youth do not like living in true. rural areas. True, true, true. So we don't have mm. the manpower. Mm. So we have a factory and we have one artisan. <laughs> oh, so you, you had already set up the factory before. And they were, okay, let me set it up and then I'll find yeah, people to come. And, uh, okay. So at this point, mm. we're still producing in Nairobi. Yeah. As we're setting up the factory. And only one artisan agrees to come to Sierra County. That is problem number one. Wow. Problem number two is people in rural areas do not believe that their health impacts associated with cooking. 
of course that's yeah yeah so they see your product as something that's not actually necessary mm. yeah and it's ten dollars like, why should i buy this yeah. yeah they're like i'm not spending ten dollars yeah. on that stove so then we talked to our partners and we're like we made a mistake some moves here that were not as calculated as we thought they were mm. and we need your help some of our custom uh, our partners are like no 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 that's not the problem so this is just people's they're like education and awareness creation is the problem what can you do to get them to buy your stoves mm. so i go to the market and i'm wondering what is it that we can do so that's when i came up with the influencers idea interesting yeah sort of like the kim kardashians of rural villages women <laughs> groups <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, women groups are basically groups of people who they like chamas. Yeah, like the women in chamas. Uh-huh. But everybody wants to dress like them, uh-huh. have products that they have, they influence their yeah. trends within the spaces. Uh-huh. And so we decided, let's partner with them. Because I remember uh-huh. that my aunties, my mom, like uh-huh. they would have women groups that buy each other like matching cups. Like they uh-huh. would inform true, true. what each other hide in their homes yeah. and then influence other women within true. those like, oh, communities. Oh, you bought this and then yeah, you know, then the they want buy. to buy. Uh-huh. So we decided we need to partner with these women groups mm. and this is basically what saved our move to western yeah. kenya yeah wow that's that's such an interesting story and um earlier when you're talking about having the the team from australia in your shack mm-hmm. basically i was like charlotte could still dream even though she you know you were surrounded by circumstances that i mean could have limited you to a certain scale almost yeah. but you're like no i want to build a factory i want to yeah 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 so there's like a the power of imagination there or self-belief like i mean i can do this and yeah, yeah. or another comment i had on the whole quote-unquote mistake like it's like the power of problem solving it's like okay sure this wasn't a good move or a smooth landing but yeah. let's figure out you know yeah. how this works so yeah. you made you made you made it work mm-hmm. um okay so that's then though mm-hmm. what has happened for you to get to 400,000 what other monies have come in yeah how much money have you been able to like fundraise or raise yeah yeah so the first few um the first um significant amount of money that we raised was the deep price grant mm-hmm. it was $20,000 that was a lot of money mm-hmm. at that time for us um the next time we raised money was oh no i forgot to tell you a very important story Mm. which is very important because once i came out of ygap the Mm. accelerator i had a lot of confidence because this was my first accelerator Mm. we were there for a week i had a baby at home who was six months who was still breastfeeding so Mm. i was in a lot of pain Mm. and it was a competition and i won Mm. And when I won it, there were other like 11 other founders mm. who had gone through other accelerators, other competitions. It instilled this crazy confidence in me. Mm. And so I started applying for other opportunities. Mm. So there's a conference, I don't know if you know about it. It's called SOCAP mm. in, in San Francisco. Okay, no. So basically, it's this big conference where entrepreneurs meet investors Mm. in silicon valley Mm. and i apply for it they give you a scholarship Mm. 
and I got in and then I came up with this really brilliant plan that I was going to go there and raise a million dollars and impact like 500,000 lives when wow. I came back home. Mm. And so this is 2018 when I went to SoCap and I have a plan like why would people not give me money? I'm doing mm. great. I already won Spark. Like mm. I have this crazy confidence with me and I show I, I set up meetings before you show up because that's what you do when mm. you go to a conference. You look for people who might want to fund you. You set up meetings. I was look, looking for debt and equity financing. Mm. I do not know what equity <laughs> means at this point. <laughs> I am like, just do we give you equity? You're like, sure. I'm like, whatever you have, whatever you want to call it, as long as it's a check, yeah. please give it to me. I need the money. And so, I really hope there are no entrepreneurs out there who are doing these things. So like, ah, equity, great. Let's go. Listen, yeah. I was... I you need to read the fine prints. Yeah. And I was not prepared for it. I yeah. wasn't ready for soccer. Mm. And it was this opportunity that I was given, I had no business mm. fundraising at that mm. point. I needed to build first. Mm. And so I have meetings and every meeting that I have, I'm telling these guys how much I'm raising and they're just looking at me. Please remember, I don't mm. have a data room. I don't mm. even have an Excel sheet to show mm. them our finances. Oh, wow. I'm just there. Mm. Just like... <laughs> I'm just telling Pure stories about belief. what I've done mm. and I have, I don't even have pictures, mm. right? Impact pictures. I have mm. nothing. But if they give me a million dollars and I'm sticking to it, I yeah. want a I mean nothing less, yeah. nothing more. I just want to meet. I don't know how I even came up yeah. with a million um, dollar mark. And so I have meetings and all of them are so confused. They obviously say no. They don't mm. even want a second meeting. Mm. They just um, are like, this girl is so confused. Yeah. It's insane. And so I have a last meeting with this gentleman. His name's Jim. Mm. Very old white guy. Mm. And he just look at, looks at me and he's smiling mm. like you are crazy. <laughs> like are you the Lulu? <laughs> yeah, he does not understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. And he tells me, you don't know what you're saying. That mm. I'm sure of. And you need a lot of help. And I know someone who can help you. Interesting. And so he tells me, meet with this guy. And he gives me his email. He's also at SoCap. And he says, try and book a meeting with him. He might be able to help. So I meet with my very first mentor. Mm. His name was Bill Harrington. Mm. And I meet Bill. And he Bill is just like smiling because how mm. are you so crazy? Yeah. <laughs> like, to him, he just doesn't get Like how. we have a lot to cover. Yeah, like listen, <laughs> there's so much work that needs yeah. to be done. And he looks at me and asks me, he tells me, you have a lot of passion mm. and you have a lot of drive, but you're mm. not there yet. Mm. Do you need help? Mm. And I look at him and he, the whole time I'm just thinking, I need money. I don't mm. need help. Exactly. Like I know what I'm doing. Just like, these guys are, are not getting it. They're not getting <laughs> they don't it. understand yeah. what I'm trying to do. And I say, yes, I do need help. Mm. So this was the end of 2018. He tells me, this is what we're going to do. Every Monday, mm. All of 2019, every week, every Monday, we're going to get on a call for one hour. And I'm going to teach you everything from Excel sheets to storytelling. Wow. And at the end of the year, if I believe that you can run a business, I'm going to invest in you. Wow. And I remember... The first call was nice. Mm. After the second call, I started disliking Bill because he was pointing out my weaknesses. True. So because I also had a bit of ego, I felt like he was calling me stupid when he mm. pointed out that I didn't even know how to formulate, mm. um, you know, to um, create formulas and stuff like that. And so sometimes I'd come to the meetings like... 
checked out. Yeah, like mm. I don't want to be here mm. and like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And other times I'd be excited because maybe we did something really good mm. and he'd be proud and that man was never impressed. Mm. <laughs> Which, to be honest, in life, I think you need that. Yeah, yeah. he was never impressed, mm. but he was so supportive. He never, none of us ever missed a call. Mm. In fact, during the calls, we realized we shared a birthday. Oh! Yeah, so I... That's wild. At the end of the year, mm. Bill invested in my business. Mm. He gave me interest-free debt. Oh, wow. And I remember the last day I paid the last mm. installment, we got on a call and we were both drinking wine mm. and just laughing about how I was so hard to teach. Mm. <laughs> it was like you were overconfident. Because I would come with like attitude and stuff. Yeah. But those are some of the people who in my journey have really helped. Um, and I remember telling Bill now when we were making bigger moves and him just telling me, don't lose focus. Mm. I remember complaining to him that people thought my stoves weren't as pretty as international mm. brands. And he would ask, do they work? Are they Focus efficient? on that. Yeah. Focus on that. Um, and so those are some of the people who helped really grow my confidence in mm. this journey. And so aside from that, those open doors, yeah. I started getting like bigger grants. I became an Echo and Green Fellow, which mm. comes with um, $90,000 stipend, mm. Africa mm. Business Heroes, Mm. Um, Stanford also provides some financing. Mm. And then we got our first big project grant from EEP Africa. Mm. Um, they are funded by Nordic Development Fund. Yeah. And they gave us a lot of money. What is a lot? In, <laughs> <laughs> in that time, for someone who was only receiving like 100K, mm. they gave us 300,000. Mm. And lot. they were like, you need to pilot this working with women business mm. owners in rural mm. areas and show us that it works. And it was a painful project mm. because I'd never done such a big project. I was overwhelmed. And mm. in the end, I remember having a conversation with the team and they were just like, girl, mm. you did not know what you were doing, True. but we at the end and nobody died. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so... Some of those journeys that I've been on with different kinds of people, a lot of the financing we've had has come from awards and grants, just like seeing an opportunity online, applying for it because there's a gap to be filled somewhere. Mm. And a lot of painful no's. Like mm. I, my husband says mm. that I like pain. <laughs> I like heartbreak <laughs> because I can send out a hundred applications That's a amazing. year. And 97% will say no. Just mm. like, no. We do so not you're like comfortable your with idea. Projection. I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. I cry. Mm. But then I have to remind myself that there are other entrepreneurs out there who are doing amazing stuff. Mm. I have to remind myself that I'm still not the best true, true, at true. this game. So mm. I have to always remember really cool. that I cannot be arrogant. Mm. Yeah, so you'll need to... Cannot be comfortable. Yeah, you, mm. you can't be comfortable. You can't be arrogant and you cannot be entitled. Mm. Yeah, so people say, you know, sometimes it's such a good fit. Mm. We have won the actual prize. And so you show up and you're like, Prince William gave me money, a million pounds. I'm only asking you for 200k USD. Come on And now. you're saying no. Like, mm. what are you saying? Mm. But you have to remember. Do you even know who I am? <laughs> I know. So you can show up in places and be like, do you know who I am? They know who you are and you are a bad fit. Yeah. That is just the fact of the matter. So I have to remind myself many times 
that there are people out there who are doing good work, who deserve some of those opportunities. And there are some opportunities that have been given out of luck. Mm. I have worked my ass off. Mm. But some of them have not they really... Just yeah, they, they just came to you. They just came to me. Yeah, so it's painful. There was a time in 2022 that I got three great meals every week and I got one on a Saturday. I mm. was like, you cannot be this evil. <laughs> Like, it's a weekend. You're determined to ruin my weekend <laughs> in addition know. to not giving me and what I asked you. Why would you, you tell doing? someone no on a Saturday <laughs> evening? That's not cool. So I yeah. think as an entrepreneur in social impact spaces, you have to be comfortable with that. You yeah. have to be comfortable with people telling you you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes that's not even what they mean. Yeah. Yeah, they just mean just they, are, they had people. Yeah. 10 spots and they took 10 spots. You yeah. might be number 11, but you did not make it to 10. Yeah, yeah, you might be number nine, but mm. someone else deserves the opportunity. True, true. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So many lessons in that, actually. Oh, my God. Um, one, going back to Bill, mm-hmm. like the whole being teachable thing. Yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of young people, yes, you have the passion, you have the belief, mm-hmm. but there are skills to be learned, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like you are very lucky to have that mentorship, like that's hands-on, someone who's like literally looking at your stuff yeah. and like working with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, for people who are listening, I think it's important to honestly know what you don't know and be yeah. humble enough to learn it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, when you meet seasoned business people, they're where they are because they've made some mistakes, that you know? So it's important to like, you know, Sit and learn. Yeah. As much as it might bruise your ego a little bit. <laughs> and then on the whole rejection thing, Charlotte, I feel like you have you have tough skin, to be honest. I you know? Because people who do not attempt things because they're like, I mean, I, I would I, I would rather not be rejected and keep believing that I'm the best. Yeah. Than yeah. be told over and over, you know, no. No. Yeah. yeah. So the whole ego thing, actually, we we're talking about it before we started. That the bigger you get, the bigger the, the ego, ego sometimes. Becomes, yeah. How do you manage that? How do you... You've shaken hands with Prince Williams with... Is, is it Prince Williams or William? Yeah, <laughs> we'll cut this part out. I'm like, yeah. what? I need to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you've met Mike Bloomberg. I mean, you've met all the peoples. You know, you've been interviewed by all kinds of people. Like, people want to know you and know your story, right? Mm-hmm. How do you stay focused, like you were saying? Yeah. And not let your success get to your head and keep that discomfort going. The discomfort of like, I need to keep, you know, I need to keep hustling. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do it by yourself. I mean, you can humble yourself. Mm. You can call yourself to order. But it's very important to have people, Mm. friends, family who can humble you Mm. when you start thinking you're getting a big head. Yeah, so I have, I've had moments okay. where I'm like, you can't talk to me like that. Do you know who I am? Talk to me nice. Yeah, like, don't, don't do that. Okay. And someone in my camp, a mm. friend, my husband will be like, sure, mm. calm down. Calm, calm down now. <laughs> yeah, but I think for yeah. me, what's really helped is mm. the fact that when you read my bio, it doesn't sound to me like me. Mm. yeah it sounds like charlotte my mm. guy just not the woman that's sitting across from you that's interesting so i don't i don't it's not in my head like that yeah yeah and i see that charlotte which yeah. is a good thing yeah yeah I, I yes try. i know you're badass yeah but 
you're not fighting so hard for people to know it or to rub it in their faces. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, it, but it does help to have people to remind you. Yeah, but at the same time, you're also, confident, which is like, yeah. it's like very... It's a nice balance. Interesting thing, yeah. Because yeah, at the same nice time, balance. I know that, oh, Charlotte is not like, not going to mention herself. No, you will. But I can tell that deep down, you're, you're, you're confident from a healthy place. You know, it's not like this shallow, shaky confidence almost. Also, it's nice to meet people when yeah. you realize you haven't yeah. done much. Yeah, true, 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 true. <laughs> when you get into even ABH itself, true, true. you interact mm. with other entrepreneurs and you see their impact numbers, you're like, what? Mm. You did that? Or even, you know, the amounts true, of true, money true. they're raising. They have so raised. it helps. Yeah. It helps to meet billionaires who are humble. Like mm. Mike Bloomberg is worth $100 billion. And, and he just tells he's jokes. He's mm. very chill and he's worked very hard and he's a very old man who deserves to be arrogant. So I feel like meeting people who've done way better than you. I meet people I want to be like, True. and they're so humble. Mm-hmm. I met Jacinda Arden twice last mm-hmm. year. Wow. And the first time I mm-hmm. met her, she told me about her dad living mm-hmm. in Kenya. And so she comes to Kenya often. Interesting. And then I saw her two months later in Singapore. And she mm-hmm. said, remember when I told you about my dad? And I was like, you remember? Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So mm. I think you have to you have to remind Keep yourself your on the that there yeah. are people out here who've done incredible work mm. and they still move around like humble human beings. Yeah. And you haven't even scratched, scratched the, the surface. surface. Yeah, yeah. So you have no business working on air. Yeah. yeah. I really love that. Um I really love that. I think I used to read all these, you know, stories of people who get into like Ivy League schools and the first year everybody's depressed because they're like from my high school, everybody knew my name. You yeah. know, I was the the, the smartest yeah. person ever, you know, and they get into Harvard, for example, and everybody's equally smart or even smarter, and they yeah. can't really process that. Yeah, They're like, how can I not be the best? But it, it's the world, it's big. And there are people who are better than you, and yeah. as hard as that might be. <laughs> it helps to remember that whatever you do, there's always someone better. Someone, so <laughs> yeah. You might as well calm down. Okay. You've, I mean, you've done well, and I'm sure you continue to do well. This is only the beginning, um, especially in your case where you meet all these great people. So the ceiling is very high. So you can literally keep going at it forever until you get to $100 billion <laughs> net worth. Kidding. But you, the world is, is your oyster. But what I was going to say is that, um, so one thing I've noticed about you from watching your interviews, from being in the same spaces as you, is that you seem to be very comfortable in your skin. Of course, I'm speaking as an observer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah. you truly feel on the inside. And I would, I would think, given your history, what you mentioned about where you grew up and everything, a person would assume the opposite. You yeah. know, that you would walk around not sure, that you probably, yeah, not really take up space right but you do that so how did you get there did you have to work a lot on your confidence or yeah tell me about that oh wow when i started the entrepreneurship journey mm. i got into spaces where at any minute i thought everybody else in the room was better than me mm. every single time for a long time and then one day i got into this fellowship mm. And I love talking about it because their work centers racial equity. Okay. 
but that's not what they gave me mm. they made me feel like a founder who was doing important work for the first time in mm. my life mm. i remember i got into the fellowship i got the news on my birthday mm-hmm. and me my husband my sister and my sister-in-law were driving from karura forest yes and i was very drunk mm. <laughs> And this lady called Rachel D, she's now Dr. Rachel Danielle Latimo. She calls okay. me and she's like, I'd like to tell you you're, you're an echoing green fellow. <gasps> and I sobered up so quickly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to life. Yeah, mm. I, I just sobered up. Like, uh, what are you talking about? Because uh, I wanted to be a fellow for a long time. Yeah. And I applied in 2020. That was the year of COVID. Mm. And during the fellowship, the first call we got on, Rachel, the same lady, I love this woman. She mm. said, I know a lot of you are unsure, mm. but please remember we're not doing you a favor. You're here by merit. Mm. And I don't know, for some reason, I internalized mm. that. Yeah, they would always say things like, mm. you're an echoing green fellow. Mm. Don't let anybody make you feel less than. Yeah. Um, you're a black woman and you've achieved so much. So the fellowship, for a lot of people, it did different things. Yeah. For me, it made me a very comfortable founder. I mm. started seeing my impact. I started appreciating the work that I was doing. And I stopped feeling like other people were better than me. Mm. So it took years. It takes time. But that was the one moment where I felt like, you know what? I'm a great entrepreneur. Mm. Even when I fail. Yes. Even when people are doing better than me. Mm. I'm still a great entrepreneur. Mm. The things yeah. I've done, yeah, I, I, I have done them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, no so one else. It wasn't yeah. always like that. And I still have moments where I'm like, oh mm. my God, this person is doing so well mm. and I need to pull up my socks. Mm. But for the most part, I am reminded that I'm here by merit. Mm. No one is doing me a favor. I worked hard. Mm. I'm the one who cries when I get those regret mails. I'm the one who cries when people don't like my stove. And I'm also the one who like screams in my house. My kids hate yeah. me sometimes. <laughs> when you win. <laughs> when you... I win or when, mm. you know, people love my stove. And it's still so important to me. Mm. Like when I'm told that an entire women's group decided to sign up and become our sales agents or become our ambassadors it still makes me cry mm. when i go to a customer's house to do an interview and they're like you made this stove i mm. really love it you care about your work i, I mm. care about my work i care about my stove but having the people you impact look at you in the face and tell you this stove has helped my life mm. it helps mm. with the confidence, Gives you the confidence. As well. yeah. yeah that's that's amazing um yeah, and something for people to to take with them. Um, yeah, there's that quote of like nobody can make you inferior without your consent. Um, but also, yeah, to internalize that when people invite you into spaces that you deserve to be there, not like with with like an ego, but to be like, okay, they saw value in what I'm doing, and therefore I should be here. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of women, especially, they get imposter syndrome. Yeah. When you're invited into spaces and you're like, it has happened to me Many a million times. times. Yeah. When the whole time I'm like, yep, the moment I get on stage, they're going to regret why they invited me, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm feeling like I, like I cheated them. I'm like, yeah. to be honest, you did not even ask. They invited you because yeah. you saw your work. Yeah, and they have to tell you. Yeah, you're exactly. Your important. Yeah. Yes, sometimes you have to remind. I have yeah. moments like that when yeah. I have to remind myself that. I belong here and mm. no one is doing me a favor and it's because I've worked so hard. 
in certain situations when people are so nice to you and they're like, I'm so excited to meet you mm. at the Africa Business Heroes mm. Meet and Greet, some people are like, I'm excited to meet you. I'm like, me? <laughs> I'm just Charlotte. I know. Why would you be excited to <laughs> but meet me? But they are. Yeah, yeah. So you have to remember that no matter yeah. how small, mm. there's some people who are impacted by yeah. the work that you do positively. Yeah. And you are doing something yeah. with your life. So mm. imposter, imposter syndrome is not something we can just get rid of by having like one or two mm. podcasts or conversations. Just manage it. Yeah. yeah, but it's more of every day reminding yourself of the work that you have done. Mm. And sometimes you forget as mm. a woman. True, true, yeah, true. like sometimes I see some of the things, I forget mm. some of them. Or you some focus them, on the rejections or yeah, the bad things. Yeah, you focused on, on the fact that people tell you mm. that you're not good enough. But sometimes I have to remind myself, my bio is great, but I had to yeah. remove some things because it was crowded. It was so long. Like, I yeah, have exactly. achieved a lot and I have to celebrate myself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, something else I wanted to quickly ask you. My God, we need to wrap it up soon. But I, have, I still have a few questions. One is, uh, in when we met in Kigali, there's something you talked about of not being afraid to ask that people tell you that, you go for things or that you can be aggressive mm-hmm. but you have this thing of like you just have to ask yeah, yeah? and mm-hmm. i mean from what i'm what i'm i'm seeing it has it has worked incredibly well for you yeah. because actually like if you send out a hundred things mm-hmm. even if your success rate is very low like yeah. you will still have success in a way yeah um but what can you tell someone who's like very hesitant with 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 their lives or who's like afraid to ask or afraid to put themselves out there yeah. An entrepreneurial person in general. I know. What can I tell them? <laughs> you know the, the phrase, clothes, closed mouths don't get fed? True. I I feel like it's so self-explanatory. Mm. Like, you know, mm. being there, you're not asking, you're not going to get it. It's mm. not just going to fall on your lap. Even things that you deserve without asking, you mm. still got to ask. Mm. You still got to put yourself out there and be a little aggressive. Yeah, I can be aggressive. Mm. Every time I see someone who runs a fund, I ask them for money. I don't care if they fund mm. clean cooking or mm. not. Just ask. Because mm. there's a chance he just walked out of a meeting where they were talking about financing sure. Now it's cooking. the new thing they want. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or he will care. consider it. Yeah, mm. so I think for me, understanding that there are resources out there but no one's going to give it to me if I don't tell them I want it has helped me be more forthcoming with yeah. my requests. Yeah. Yeah. So I will see Jason like mm. at a meeting and be like, hey, are you guys giving more grants? He always mm. says no. <laughs> but <laughs> but next time I'll ask. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I ask. I, yeah. I will see an opportunity. Yeah. And I know someone who might know them, might not know sure, them, sure. and they might be able to make an introduction. I'll ask. Mm. I just had a call this past week where mm. I asked someone, could you recommend me for this fellowship? Mm. I didn't know that they do recommendations. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in charge Happy of recommending. To, oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't know that. That was mm. a complete surprise. You, to, uh, you found out when you asked. I wanted so mm. bad, so I asked. And if I get in, I'll be so grateful yeah. to myself for putting myself out there Mm. and being okay with them telling me hey you're not supposed to ask Mm. me yeah because some people will tell you you're not supposed to ask me that Mm. make you feel a bit sensitive about Mm. it but still ask the next person Mm. so for me i've been someone who asks Mm. and i ask for help as well when i'm stuck that's good or when i feel like i'm failing Mm. especially with entrepreneurs yeah, you're like, not the strong woman yeah, who will do it all herself. You know who are doing so well. Mm. 
and you know that they probably face the same challenges mm. so just ask how did you deal with this mm. and more often than not they're more they're super willing True. to provide you with the information that you that's need good. Yeah. that's good that's good yeah there's that quote as well that you miss 100% you miss you miss 100% of the shots you don't take yeah. right yeah. If you don't attempt, then it's a guaranteed. Yeah, shoot yeah. your shot. <laughs> shoot your shot. <laughs> That's a key takeaway. I something I can say about that. Mm-hmm. There are many things I did not apply for mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, they require this, and therefore I don't have it. And actually, yeah. there are studies out there. Yeah. How women only apply to things when they have 100% requirements yeah. fulfilled. Yeah. Whereas men, I think, once they, they have one and two, yeah, they, they just I go for that. it. <laughs> you do that I as do well. that. And the only reason I learned yeah. how to do that is because at the beginning of my journey, I was surrounded by a lot of male entrepreneurs mm. who would apply for things they yeah. weren't qualified for. Yeah. And I asked myself, maybe they're doing that because these guys don't mean these things are mandatory. Mm. It's just like a sort of direction. Mm. Yeah, so I applied for things that I wasn't qualified for. And I promise you, the things that I thought I was qualified mm. for, I didn't get. And, and those the things other I things, thought I wasn't, like yeah. when I applied for Global Citizen, no way I was mm. going to get in there. Mm. And I was, I got the grand prize. Yeah. yeah so I think wow. just apply even when you feel like you're only qualified because what's the worst that's going to happen? They will tell you no and then yeah. it just keep and it moving. And then when they mm. tell you no, you have a done application. Mm. When you're qualified for it, you just have to update your true, true, numbers. True, true, true. Yeah, and apply again. So that's the reason, another mm. reason why I'm okay with applying for things because mm. then I've already answered the questions for mm. the next time I'm qualified. Mm. That's a takeaway from me actually. Yeah. yeah. To close, we're going to start closing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've you've shared a lot of lessons about, um, you know, building a business. When it comes to raising money, quickly, mm-hmm. what what are some things that you've learned that you've shared you you can share with other entrepreneurs? Maybe to to guide you a bit because we've had a conversation before we started recording. Talked about how telling stories is powerful, mm-hmm. building relationships. What else have you learned in this process? What has led to basically you successfully? I mean, yeah, you have a great product and, mm-hmm. you know, but beyond that, there is like these other skills that people can learn. I think what has worked for me with fundraising, aside from being great at storytelling mm. and creating, you know, um, relationships with people mm. is persistence mm. yeah yeah similar mm. to what you were saying like just keep 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 going at it yeah and yeah. i think you have to remember that personality also has a lot to do with it mm. some people will find you just because they like you mm. yeah and that's a fact people need to be comfortable with yeah 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 like so when you show up like try to be authentic there's some people to be who, fun to not yeah, just be like yeah, I'm a stuck yeah. up person I'm trying to fun, raise money it's yeah. okay if, if you're not a fun person yeah. it's okay there are people who are not that warm or charming mm. but there are people who will hear one sentence from you and they're mm. like I want to hear more mm. yeah so I think for me what I would say as truly truly worked for me because I wasn't the best when I started this mm. but I was very very persistent mm. I did not 
take no for an answer, an answer. Mm. and you would tell me no and then get tired like i would tire you i would mm. ask you so like, you know what charlotte here you go times <laughs> they would be like please just just take it yeah because uh, i'm tired of seeing your application every single year mm. and you're not qualified for this thing so for me it was going at it again and it helped in the beginning because i also felt like i wasn't good enough mm. so every year i'd convince myself I'm this, is the, year. Today. this is the year. Yeah. That's then the good. next year I'd be mm. like, today I'm definitely a bit mm. better. And so it helps you because I didn't have ego mm. in the beginning. That's I good. didn't feel like I knew anything. I'll be hurt if they reject me. Or, yeah. yeah. But what's helping me now mm. as as an entrepreneur who's grown in the business is getting more voices as well. Mm. Like getting more perspectives mm. um not just with your board or with your other funders but with team members as mm. well like let people bring fresh ideas True. not change like you know mm. your mission but give um, give a spin to yeah, how like yeah you... let them show you another way yes. of storytelling another way of communicating your impact mm. that would interest you know the fresh investors mm. that are getting into the space as well mm. yeah that's 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 amazing yeah uh tell me about the foundation so you started a foundation what are you aiming to do with that? Um, yeah, so we had the limited company for mm. six years and I'm so happy with where it went. Mm. I think when we hit 400,000, I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> I think for me, it was still, what do you mean we've sold 400,000 mm. stoves? Mm. And I used to think my stoves weren't pretty. I think my big beef with my stoves you was honestly that they were like, <laughs> You need to work through it. that. <laughs> Yeah, I need to not think that I... Whoever planted that, wherever he is, please. Yeah, I need to... Yeah. yeah. So, I think (laughs) when we, we started seeing that we started simplifying selling stoves Mm. and understanding that communities were becoming a bit more receptive to us and I started thinking about growth. Mm. We won the actual prize in 2022 Mm. and I started thinking to myself, now we have this money and we have a whole new network of people Mm. who will give us a lot of money Mm. to create a lot more impact. Mm. And that is fine. That is guaranteed now because we have that money. Mm. But what more can we bring to the table? Mm. And so I read this report by the CDC. Mm. I was in my kitchen cooking and I was with my daughter Mm. again. And... I read the report and it basically says that a lot of people are still catching malaria mm. even when they have access to mosquito nets. Mm. So True. basically mm. they were getting malaria according to the CDC right before they go to bed. And my daughter, because she's super sassy, is like, what are they doing before they go to bed, mom? And then they're she cooking. goes, oh my God, they're using our stoves. <laughs> because Hami will always be Hami. She makes it my problem. Mm. Basically, through her, people mm. are catching malaria because when they're, they're using, using nice stones. True. Yeah, and I think... And it gives you they, an idea. Yeah, it mm. gives me an idea. Like, are there malaria interventions, um, you know, um, associated with cooking? And if not, could we Can make we? one? That's very innovative. And then I do more research. I find out that Kenya and... Um, Tanzania mm. are the largest producers of pyrethrin in mm. the world. Mm. And pyrethrin is the strongest insecticide in the world. Wow. So I asked myself, could we infuse this in a fuel to repel mosquitoes? And it just sounds like a lot of research work, which mm. again, I have no background mm. in. 
And I think, how can we do that? We can't do this with a limited company. Mm. So we formed the foundation. Ah, uh-huh, so that you can justifiably spend yeah, money spend, into R&D. Yeah, like and, raise yeah, money yeah. Um, um, in R&D to, mm. to develop this mm. fuel, to test it, to see if it works. And so with the foundation, what we're doing is we're setting up a 300,000 square foot sustainable energy campus. Mm. It consists of a production facility, mm. a research First of all, 300,000 square meters, like... My mind is like psh. square foot. Square foot, okay. <laughs> yeah. Square foot. So that would be how big in square meters? Um, like hundred thousand. That would be a little under ten acres. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's big still. Yeah, it's not. That not what big, I'm thinking. But it's big. Not yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, okay. but it's 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 quite big. Ah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see. So yeah. it's like uh, divided by six ish or. Less. But yeah. anyways, yeah. forget, 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 <laughs> forget your math. Forget my math. <laughs> okay. So that's what we're doing. That's true. Actually, it's not like a straight conversion from meters to yeah. feet. So whatever I'm attempting is not working. But <laughs> guys, the point is the place is big. Okay. So. Yeah, that's the point. The point we're trying to make is that it's a huge place. Yeah. It has a research lab. Yeah. It has production and packaging facilities. Yeah. And it has something that I'm so excited about, a model world village, mm. because this is a product that we're essentially building to impact lives in different places to fight malaria, mosquito vectors, not just malaria, so dengue mm. virus mm. as well, different parts of the world, mm. not just Africa. And we're going to test it out there to see how it, you know, works in different types of households. Wow. Um, so it's going to be this really, like, cool thing. Mm. The project is ongoing right now. Like, Maasai homes, homes mm. in rural Ghana, homes in Australian villages. Wow. So that's what we're attempting to do with the foundation. Mm. And at the same time, develop a fuel that repels mosquitoes, that's but does really... not impact the health of families. That's groundbreaking. Yeah, so hopefully... We'll get that done. Um, the fuel itself is patent pending mm. in the US. Mm. And our plan is to sell it in the US as a premium camping and barbecuing product ah. to subsidize the cost for the African Look continent. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. That's yeah, and also really to cool. increase our carbon revenue. So, That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Well done. Thank you. You know, such an innovative and smart babe. I hope Hami gets her commission at some point. Listen, she will ask me for shares as soon as she turns it in. Because according to her, it's like, how did you get that idea exactly? <laughs> true, true. She, she's gonna, she's gonna sue me for shares. But yeah, yeah more than happy to yeah. you know work with my kid. True. I think she inspired yeah. um, a lot of it. She's a big part of this story, so. Yeah, in the beginning, yeah. she was all of the story yeah. yeah she's the reason why i started it and she's a leader as well mm. she's like in grade eight and she's an I'm entertainment and fashion cop nice <laughs> i know she told me that i was like what does fashion cop do but she seemed excited about it yeah. so yeah um That's yeah good. she has great leadership skills yeah, what do you expect hopefully one day we'll work together but yeah well, that's what we're doing with the okay. foundation developing the fuel okay. doing a bit of research mm. and then production and the fuel is going to help us actually kick out traditional stoves mm. because once we couple that with our stoves mm. and we sell off the carbon um, that we offset mm. um, then we will be able to earn enough money to expand but also sell the stoves at the price point of a traditional stove i love that yeah, yeah. i mean 
any African entrepreneur who's tapping into the carbon market is ahead of the game, right? Yeah. And because uh, for now, I feel like, yeah, Western markets have figured that out, but yeah. many African entrepreneurs are living yeah, that. Or, there. Yeah, there. It's a $900 billion market. Mm. And we we only have access to less than 1% of it. Mm. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs, mostly because um, carbon market is also a quantity game for mm. um for a lot of, of buyers they, yeah, yeah. yeah so you mm. need to sell a lot of products to be able to benefit from it and entrepreneurs with little resources cannot have you know um that type of True. access so for us the actual prize and a lot of these other opportunities is opening doors for us to be able to get to a place where we are real players mm. in the carbon market mm. and we can benefit from it and bring back that benefit back to the continent because we are contributing the least to climate true, change true, true. and we are the most impacted. So yeah. it needs to show in mm. Um, mm. in the impact or the, the resources that it brings true, back true, true. onto the continent. So it can't be just the West benefiting mm. from it. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Where do you see yourself in 10 years as we close? Oh, 10 years. For us who have been employed, <laughs> our employers have asked us that question. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Maybe people <laughs> have not asked you that. Yeah. But where do you see yourself in 10 years? In when you project years. yourself wow I'm gonna with the pace you've been going at in so 10 years yes and i will probably be retired from uhuru okay um my plan so is that's to, a thought that you have yeah my okay. plan is to get it to a place where we are either eradicating um household air pollution mm-hmm. um fighting malaria vector mosquito vectors and we have enough people who are mm. doing that work, you know, mm. something that's been developed, the structures mm. are set that mm. I can take a step back and just read and like sleep. <laughs> yeah, not like doing another venture. Yeah, not apply to grants. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I feel like mm. 40, I might still be young enough to embark on another journey. Mm. But even if I yeah, don't the cure embark of something, on another or, journey, yeah. Mm. yeah, I would like to have or some teach, resources or to support run uh, for president no god no. <laughs> <laughs> i um, i don't even li- yeah no i would never be able to be a politician yeah but i think in 10 years i would have gained enough knowledge to help some young entrepreneurs set mm. up successful businesses or invest from the continent yeah or invest um some money mm. in those businesses but i would like to be a part of the powerful women that Africa is nurturing right now that will nurture the next generation of entrepreneurs mm. when I'm 40. Love it. Love yeah. it. I'll be here to witness it. <laughs> God willing. Um, do you have any parting words? Um, what is one thing that you focused on this year? Like what is a mantra that's carrying you into 2024? Anything that's on your mind as we close. I've been really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned quite a lot. Thank you from so you. much. Um, the nerves didn't kill me, so <laughs> they killed me. On the other hand, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we are at the end. In 2024, I want to build. I feel like in 2023, I was more of collecting resources, mm. looking for resources, mm. and we have enough for me to just sit down and build, mm. um, actualize some of those dreams and mm-hmm. goals that we have. Um, as Mukuru clean mm, stoves, mm, as a mom, also mm-hmm. as a woman, 
and what I'm looking forward to is being able to have two products okay. that are impacting the lives of the same demographic okay. in a way that increases the positiveness of mm. that impact that we are creating. Mm. So two new products? Uh, no, the fuel and the stove. Mm. So two mm. products mm. Um, collectively. Mm. And just being able to get more resources to go to the next stage. So go. I want to use 2024 mm. to prove mm. you know um what this other product can do mm-hmm. and what they can do coupled together mm. and showcase the traction that we've had so mm. that in 2025 i can collect can. more resources to do it all over yes. again in different communities yeah and i think if there's a young lady listening and mm. they're like when do i start just now with yeah. nothing and now. or even if you have if you have nothing to start with, just start talking about it. Mm. You have a voice. Mm. Just start seeing what you're going to do. I have found that you can manifest things. I didn't True. believe in that mm. before. I thought people were just mm. like Making crazy yeah. for saying that. But mm. there are some things that have spoken. Like I want to build a sustainable energy campus in Homer Bay County. Mm. And it's complete. I can show you the research mm. facility. And I wanted to one day like win the actual prize when wow. it first came out. Mm. And I won the second year. You know, I wanted to meet specific people that I was able. So if there is a dream that you have, Mm. just talk about it. Even if right now it's unachievable. Mm. Yeah. And in a way you manifest. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I'll take that with me. Um, Thank you, Charlotte, for coming on my podcast, for sharing your insights, for being as detailed as you've been. You know, because some of this business stuff, I mean, maybe it's public knowledge, but sometimes, yeah, I get into your business a little bit. So mm-hmm. thank you for being open. Um, yeah, I'm cheering you on as you build even bigger things in the future. Um, and hopefully we'll have another conversation in the future after you've now mastered the whole carbon credits market thing and you're doing the next biggest thing. So. Thanks everyone for listening. If you've made it here, I've made it to the end of the episode. Um, Hope you've learned a lot of things like I have. And please share the episode with your friends because it's valuable information. And until next time, please take care. Bye guys.